in verse 1 of Jonah, you're confronted with what we're all confronted with. In fact, it is the very first thing before anything else matters in all the world, in our life, in our daily relationships, in our futures, is that the word of the Lord comes to us. Before the heavens are even created, the word of the Lord comes to us. Before we have any good in us or any good that we can do, the word of the Lord comes to us. It's not just prophets, but it's all of us. But a prophet above all else should be someone who's ready for this. Now, we might get the word of the Lord and be confused. We might be ignoring it. We might not know what it's saying or want to hear what it's saying. But a prophet, a prophet should know better. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. I like to say that in my walk with God, we should be careful what we pray for. Wouldn't we all want the word of the Lord to come to us? Is there anyone here who would stand up and say, Pastor, no, I don't want the word of the Lord to come to me. Any of us that would turn down the word of the Lord? An opportunity for God specifically, not just in in generalities, but to tell you exactly what to do. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and told him exactly what to do. Something we all would imagine we'd rejoice over. And yet, inside of Jonah is this great conflict. Arise and go to Nineveh. The setting of the narrative is about this city, Nineveh. And about a prophet named Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now that phrase, the son of Amittai, connects Jonah to another story in 2 Kings chapter 14. And if you didn't hear it, in our reading earlier today, Jonah's name came up. How many people caught that? Yeah. It's just in one little phrase, in one little verse, in 2 Kings 14, verse 25, where it says that Jonah was the prophet in Israel during the days of Jeroboam II. Now, Jeroboam II was an evil king. He was a king who continued to promote idolatry in Israel. And Jonah was the prophet at the time. And it says that Jonah was in charge of reinforcing the borders of Israel. And so he brought a blessing to Jeroboam, the evil king, and he confirmed the word of the Lord that the Lord was merciful to Israel during a time of war. And they reinforced their borders so that they could have relief from their suffering. Jonah was that prophet. This is the same Jonah, the son of Amittai, who is now told to do something even more important. He's told to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is said to be the great city. Now, great could refer to size, but it more likely refers to its fame. It was a famous city. It was a notorious city. Not famous for all the good that it did, but more infamous. It was notorious for the evil, the idolatry, the kings upon kings upon kings that ruled over the Assyrian armies. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. In his commentary on this book, Tim Keller talks about Jonah and the city. He calls Jonah the prodigal prophet. 
And he says there's three shocking reasons why Nineveh would not be the place you'd expect God to send a prophet. The first reason is that Nineveh is a Gentile city. God had just spent decades, centuries, trying to bring his people to a place where the Gentiles could no longer infect or affect them. He had spent all this time bringing them out of a Gentile nation where they were slaves to the Egyptians and then driving out the Gentiles out of the land of Canaan and bringing them peace and a kingdom right there in the land that God had promised to them. And now he's telling one of his career religious appointed workers to leave his job, leave his post, leave his people and go to someone else. It's shocking that God would send Jonah to a city some 500 miles northeast of his own city. It's also shocking because Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. Now, Assyria was a famous kingdom. You can read the historical records, the archaeology of that, not just in the Bible, but outside of the Bible, as to the atrocities and the power that Assyria wielded. The king of Assyria was constantly threatening Israel. There's an archaeological discovery that found a stone carving showing that King Jehu, the king just before Jonah came along, had to pay tribute to the king of Assyria, and it's a stone carving of him bowing down to the king of Assyria. And paying him so they can not have to go to war. Nineveh was not friendly to Israel in any way. And thirdly, it's shocking because Assyria was guilty of so many war crimes. Things that I don't want to mention from the pulpit. Violence. The way that they treated their captives. The way that they treated their slaves. It was not a friendly city. So what does the prophet do in response to this shocking command to go to this worst of all the cities and preach to them? Well, I don't know how long Jonah thought about it. We have here on the poster what Nineveh was known for. And to use the, the metaphor of Eugene Peterson in teaching this lesson, he said it's like going to a travel agency. And you get to the travel agency, and here you have the black and white poster of Nineveh that mentions here the longtime enemies, the pagan idolatry, the violence and war, the dirty and ruined city, the slavery and oppression, the danger and death. Do you want to hop on that camel? And then, in contrast, Jonah discovers another poster. And this poster is great and bright and exciting. It's the beautiful, exotic city of Tarshish. Tarshish, a place where you can get away from it all. Tarshish, a place with exotic experiences, oceanfront views, beautiful people, world-renowned sites, and above all, career advancement opportunities for any prophet that's looking to make a profit. 
So you have these, these two locations, these two cities, and if you're looking at it on a map, you would see Jonah's right in the middle. One direction will take him to Nineveh. The other direction will take him to Tarshish. So what does Jonah do? He hops on a boat. He sees the, the travel agent. He's sold on Tarshish. He pays his fare. He gets in line, and he's on his way to the beautiful, wonderful fantasy vision he has of this place called Tarshish. Tarshish isn't mentioned very often in the Bible, but it's mentioned in one other place as one of the cities and locations where Solomon was ordering these exotic animals. It says that they had peacocks that came from Tarshish. So you can see in the imagination of people how Tarshish was this faraway place. It was probably Spain at the time sailing off through the Mediterranean Sea to this faraway land of Spain. Well, why would anyone free, flee from the presence of the Lord? In the Bible, the word, the presence of the Lord, comes from a Hebrew word that literally means face. The Hebrews are very practical in their words. And we use the word presence, but the literal sense of it is the face. The thing that you're looking at me with right now, and I'm looking at you, from which we get so much understanding of people. I mean, why is it that we don't want to look people in the eyes? I had someone once, at, I was attending a Toastmasters meeting, and he told me I didn't have good enough eye contact. Now, this was a big guy with a long white beard and a deep voice. In fact, he did Santa Claus at the Christmas mall. And so he told me, I'm going to teach you how to make eye contact. And he sat me down in a chair. And not just close to me, not just me looking at Jennifer here, but he sat down in the chair and he scooted closer and closer till our knees were touching. And he stared me in the eyes and he says, I want you to just stare me in the eyes. Why does that make us uncomfortable? Looking somebody in the face. It doesn't always make us uncomfortable. It can in fact make us very comfortable. We learn it as we're little children, just babies in the cradle. The first thing we learn of humans is the face. We learn to look up to our parents. We look our mom in the face. We're crying. We want to be comforted. And we relate to the world around us by looking people in the face, seeing their reactions, seeing happiness, seeing anger, seeing sadness, or seeing strangers that we don't want to look them in the face. God says to look him in the face. And so the face is where God is talking about worship. It's the sense of looking God in the eye and him looking at us in the eye. Where everything's stripped away. And we are seeing God the way he wants us to see him. He's seeing us as we truly are. And the contrast to looking God in the face and being in his presence is to run away. All unbelief and all false worship 
our attempts to escape the face of the Lord or to change the face of the Lord into something more like us, something more manageable. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, the first thing that it says they did was they fled from the face of the Lord. They went to hide. And Jonah's repeating the same story. The reason Jonah runs, the reason he buys a ticket to Tarshish, is he's no longer comfortable looking God in the face. Instead, there's something inside of him that's not happy. There's something inside of him that doesn't like the way that God is dealing with things or what God is doing, and so he's going to go in search of something else. A God of his own shaping and devising, his own imagination. He's going to go in search of a religious career where he can really be successful, where he will really be appreciated, where he can really move up and find something more glamorous than the messy, ugly, dirty city of Nineveh. And there's a Tarshish poster out there for every one of us. Every one of you has had that experience of finding the Tarshish poster. It's a place where you imagine your life will be happier, where you will be better off, where you'll find something that God has not given you that'll finally solve all the problems. Where you'll be able to get out of the ordinary, dull, painful, dangerous situations you're in. The current vocation you have. How many careers show us men and women just trying to find Tarshish? Going from one job to the next, climbing the ladder at any cost, seeking out something better only to find when they get to Tarshish, what happens? It doesn't make them happy. It doesn't ultimately solve the problems. The more money, the more status, the nicer cars, the more appreciation and popularity, the more power and control, We think in Tarshish I will become my true self as I was always meant to be, with no one watching over my shoulder. A new beginning, a fresh start. I'll leave this mess behind. And the serpent's voice is whispering through that travel agent. Consider a trip to Tarshish. But who's going to be left behind? Who's going to be left to clean up the mess? to muck out the barn. Nobody wants to do that job. Who's going to be left in Nineveh? Or wherever that place that you currently are is. That's messy. Who's going to be left if you leave? God says, arise and go to this city, Nineveh. God is telling you, That whoever that co-worker is that is constantly belittling you, cheating you, and yet getting promoted because of it, is Nineveh. Or that neighbor 
who keeps causing the police to show up regularly, time and time again, and you know they're up to no good. That's Nineveh. Or worse, the criminal, incarcerated for crimes that we don't want to mention, is Nineveh. In fact, Nineveh is the whole city. A city notorious for violence, for lying, for prostitution, for immorality. Oh, it's worse than that. Nineveh is a whole nation. A nation where they sponsor terrorism. And God says, arise, go to Kabul, that great city, and proclaim the evil that has come before the Lord God. Any of us going to sign up for that trip? To go to Afghanistan, to go to Pakistan, to go to parts of Nigeria where Christians are being killed. Christianity Today says that every day, 13 Christians are killed for their faith worldwide. 13 every day. There were 5,600 killed in 2022 for their Christian faith. And top of the list are those places like Nigeria, Pakistan, India, China, some of these places where we have churches and we have missionaries. It's not safe. The gospel is not safe. It's not safe in our comfortable little bubbles, even in our own circles, and it's not safe beyond. But it is good because the history of the church's growth has always been in places of suffering and persecutions where Christians do not have the good life. It's nothing new. So the stage is set. The travel posters are hung, and God says, arise and go. What will it take for Jonah to remember which poster God called him to? Jonah is called the son of truth. Amitai means truth, and it's kind of ironic that he would be called the son of truth or the son of faithfulness. Because the truth is that Tarshish is a lie. And we have to discover that. The, be- the sooner you discover that Tarshish is a lie, the better off you will be. Tarshish is a lie. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist in the way that you imagine it exists. Your life doesn't, it won't ever be whatever that is that is the fantasy other than including God's word. Whatever place you're looking for, trust me, if you stay there long enough, you'll find out there's the same messes, the same disappointments, the same problems, the same people. In order to get where we want to go, in order to get to the actual happiness that God wants for us, is to do exactly what he's saying. The bottom line is that sin refuses to let God be God. Sin refuses to trust. Sin refuses to trust that God is good no matter what. God is good no matter what. And we know this because he does send help. He sends help from above. The word of the Lord comes again and again and again, despite our rebellion or our disobedience or our sin. And the word comes from heaven to earth. 
because there's one man who did buy the ticket to Nineveh. Without question, without doubt, without wasting any time, Jesus took the ticket to Nineveh. There is a greater than Jonah is here. That's what Jesus said to his people. Jesus warned the people that they were seeking after a sign. They were seeking after a better vision, a more grand idea than him. Because Jesus wasn't going to take anyone to Tarshish. He wasn't the king that they imagined. But no sign, he said, will be given except the sign of Jonah. Just let that marinate on your heart. When Jesus says, no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. You could spend your whole week meditating on what Jesus is saying in that short sentence. And I guarantee it would blow you away. Jesus says a greater than Jonah is here, which means that Jesus is the greater one. Why? Because he doesn't run away. He doesn't choose the lie. He doesn't try to change God. He lets God be God, and he goes to the place none of us would go, the place where he is willing to let his own life be given for people like the Assyrians, for people like the terrorists in Kabul, for people like your coworker who cheats, for people like me that judge all those other people and say, I ain't going to talk to them. Jesus goes to the Gentiles, to the messy, painful, disappointed, unappreciated, and extremely dangerous. He goes to the Romans, and he goes to the cross to die. And when he rises three days after being in the belly of the fish, and we'll talk about that later, He calls all the world to repent. And he says to each one of us, stop running away and like the prodigal son, come home. Amen.